Hello, and welcome to Footnoting History. I'm Lucy, and I'm going to be talking about a one-legged Jesuit, the far-reaching consequences of World War I, and surprising ways of fighting Nazis. When Father Rupert Emil Mayer was laid to rest in the Jesuit cemetery outside Munich on November 4th, 1945, the provincial of the Jesuits asked one of his fellow priests, Paul Riesterer, whether they had buried a saint. I don't think so, said Riesterer, because Father Meyer was so normal. This normal priest fascinates me for several reasons. His career, including both world wars and the decades in between, illustrates the negotiation of religious devotion and spirituality in the time when the confidence of secular modernity arguably both peaked and crashed. Through his work as a priest, he was intentionally connected to those who are seldom documented as individuals in history, the poor, the immigrants, and the unemployed. And, not least, while remaining in the city and parish where he spent most of his ministry, he defied Nazis in an impressive variety of ways. Robert Meyer was born in 1876 in the predominantly Protestant region of Swabia. He was ordained a priest in 1899, entered his novitiate with the Jesuits a year later, and was indefatigably engaged in pastoral care until the very day he died. As the Apostle of Munich, he was especially renowned for his ministry to the sick, the poor, travellers, and those without families in the city. He's also the subject of a papal decree affirming his heroic virtue. This decree focuses on a relatively short period of time in his ministry, which is nevertheless the best documented, the last eight years of his life after the National Socialist Party, which Father Meyer had long denounced, came to power. But before we get to the Nazi fighting part of this Jesuit's life, let's discuss his earlier career, which is remarkable in itself. Rupert Meyer was ordained a priest at the age of 23. By all accounts, he was a very earnest but not terribly elegant homilist who prepared his sermons while playing the violin. A year after his ordination, he undertook his novitiate with the Jesuits in France. France? Yes. This was necessary since in Imperial Germany, the Society of Jesus was viewed as a potential risk to the centrality of state power. Rupert Mayer's career would tend to confirm such a view. The education of Jesuits being thus illegal in Imperial Germany, Rupert Mayer was sent to France, and the Jesuits in turn sent him to Munich in 1911 to work with the numerous immigrants coming to the city in search of work. Father Meyer threw himself enthusiastically into this work, forming lay societies to provide social and spiritual support for each other and for Munich's immigrant population. This phase of Meyer's career was cut short by the outbreak of the First World War, for which he promptly volunteered as a chaplain. Here, he distinguished himself both by matter-of-fact helpfulness and by befriending a German shepherd. The poet Hans Carossa, after meeting him on the front in 1915, famously observed that, quote, even had I not been told that he was a Jesuit, I would have been reminded of St. Ignatius of Loyola." Unquote. Father Meyer was by all accounts held in great affection by the soldiers of his regiment, regardless of their religious persuasion. He stayed on the front lines even under heavy bombardment, talking and listening to the men under his care, as well as administering the sacraments. He made himself useful not only by offering pastoral care, but also in helping to carry food, to carry the mail, and sometimes to carry men. 
soldiers in his regiment testified to his frequent carrying of the wounded back from exposed positions, with one instance reported to Father Meyer shielding a wounded man from sniper positions, saying, Hush, if it hits either of us, it'll hit me. This cheerful recklessness garnered Father Meyer three decorations, including the Iron Cross twice over. Needless to say, this was unusual for anyone, let alone a priest and non-combatant. In December 1916, while he was in the front lines, his left leg was shattered by a shell and eventually amputated at the knee. From the field hospital, he wrote an affectionate and alarming letter to his mother. I was doing pretty badly, he wrote several days after being wounded, but now they've put three pints of saline solution in me and they don't think I'm going to die. I presume that this was intended to be reassuring, but I can't imagine that it actually was. Eventually, Father Meyer returned to Munich to convalesce. Here, he continued his pastoral activities among immigrants and his special care for the religious life of families. His activities during this period were later summed up as relieving the social misery of interwar Munich. This requires a depressing side note on how terrible the German economy was in the 1920s. The German Empire that had towered as a global power at the turn of the 20th century collapsed spectacularly in 1918, leaving political chaos and a massive war debt in its wake. In 1919, both Berlin and Munich saw attempts at revolution. The Weimar Republic was the government of a weakened, impoverished and traumatized nation, burdened with reparations as well as the human and financial costs of war. It was in this environment that Father Meyer got to work. Anxious that attending Mass not be a privilege limited to those who didn't have to work factory shifts, Father Meyer successfully got permission from diocesan authorities to hold early morning Masses in Munich's main train station. From approximately 3 to 7 a.m. each day, there he would be holding hourly services. One of the things that is most impressive to me about Father Meyer's work during this period is just how much time this one-legged man spent on his feet. This was not without personal sacrifice, as in an unguarded moment, he responded to a woman who expressed concern that he looked fatigued uh, with the answer that he was not only fatigued, but tortured. Still, the distances he traveled to help people find jobs, to help people find housing, or to offer pastoral advice became something of a legend, as did the man himself. An anonymous amputee, on learning that a prosthetic which was in the shop for repair belonged to Father Meyer, begged to borrow it for a fortnight in order that he might wear it while he took an exam. The request, oddly enough, was granted, and the exam taker passed. The lively popular devotion which Father Meyer inspired both during his lifetime rests primarily on the readiness with which he showed up to help those in need, who lined up outside his rooms, according to one witness, as if in a doctor's waiting room. Father Meyer's vocal public denunciation of the philosophical tenets of Nazism began as early as August 1923, three years after the party was founded in Munich and a full decade before Hitler came to power. The localized influence of the party during this period may be indicated by the fact that the party's paper, Der Völkischer Beobachter, found it worthwhile to publish counterattacks against Father Meyer. For decades of his service as a priest, Father Meyer was tireless in defending church teaching against German state policies, and determinedly disambiguating the two, thoroughly annoying politicians, and often his audiences. He would volunteer to debate socialists and communists alike. Unfortunately, I was not able to find extant correspondence related to this because I would really like to know 
what Father Meyer's version of do you need someone to argue against you at a public meeting was. He began one such speech by announcing that his topic was the question of how one could be a Catholic and a National Socialist. Uh, this was greeted with applause. He continued that his answer to the question was short. One could not. The applause died promptly. When the Nazis came to political power on the national level in the early 30s, Father Meyer stepped up his levels of public defiance while continuing his pastoral ministry. One of my favourite examples of his creative resistance is his filing a report with the local police against Reinhard Heydrich. Reinhard Heydrich was the head of the Gestapo and, from 1936, the head of the combined security services of the Third Reich as well. He was known for his brutality even among his high-ranking Nazi peers. He was an architect of the concentration camp system, and Father Meyer reported him to the Munich police for dangerous driving. This is my favorite kind of historical footnote. It's a tiny moment that is both stupendously improbable and tremendously satisfying. Father Meyer also, incidentally, reported to the police that Heydrich conducted himself in a manner, quote, anything but calculated to awaken the sympathy of the public, unquote. Whether or not these reports ever got back to Heydrich is unknown. It is certain, however, that Father Meyer's weekly sermons were recorded by the Gestapo beginning in 1937. It was concluded that he had made himself culpable in the eyes of the law by crossing the line between spiritual care and political commentary. Although this was a legal line that had been created by the government, it was a boundary which Father Meyer did not perceive. The surviving transcripts of his interviews with government officials reveal some degree of sympathy on the part of the latter, or at least a degree of unwillingness to punish a priest who was held in high regard by the laity, and who, let's not forget, also held the Iron Cross for services to the fatherland. Much of the testimony to Father Meyer's pastoral and political actions is found in such originally hostile government documents. Possibly my favourite exchange from these concerns Father Meyer's denouncement from the pulpit of the latest publications put forward by the Nazi party concerning civic duty and patriotism. A noticeably harassed-seeming official says to the priest, Now, Father Meyer, your sermon could be interpreted as saying that these documents are trash. Did you really mean to imply... You can almost hear the pleading in his voice, Don't make me punish a middle-aged disabled priest. But Father Meyer interrupts him saying, quote, I did not imply that they were trash, I said that they were trash, and I will say it again, that they, and not just they, but other publications like them, are trash and worse, unquote. This, predictably, did not end well. The regime attempted to solve the problem of Father Maya by placing a ban on his preaching. His ecclesiastical superiors, too, urged political caution, not wanting a priest whose pastoral work was so useful to be caught up in what some perceived as unnecessary trouble. Father Meyer, however, was undaunted in his law-breaking course, taking forbidden collections for charity outside the church instead of inside it, and, of course, preaching. Father Meyer's conscientious refusal to abide by the bans placed on his public speaking resulted in three successive periods of imprisonment. Both of his first imprisonments were ended by amnesties, the first general and the second personal. 
His last period of imprisonment was divided between a concentration camp at Sachsenhausen and later, as a result of his broken health, in solitary confinement in the monastery at Ettal. The transition from a concentration camp to a Benedictine monastery is explained in extant correspondence. The last thing the government wanted on their hands was a Jesuit martyr. During his period of confinement at Ettal, Rupert Meyer wrote abundant postcards to friends, containing notes on his health and inquiries about theirs, as well as little prayers that he had recently found or written. Once released from prison following the fall of Nazi Germany, Father Meyer returned to his pastoral duties, because of course he did. He was also fond of downright gloating about his survival. You see, he would say triumphantly to anyone who would listen, if it's the will of God, a broken and battered old Jesuit can outlive a thousand-year Reich. He died after suffering a stroke while preaching the All Saints Day sermon in St. Michael's Church in Munich in 1945 after leading the public religious procession that had been illegal under the Nazi regime. His decades of service to the people of Munich, through pastoral care and Nazi fighting alike, were and are held in great affection. Personally, as a historian of religious cultures, historian of Germany, and Nazi fighting enthusiast, I am fond of Father Maya as an unlikely, unpretentious, indeed normal sort of man, who was a hero to many, and who is known to us through unusual sources. This has been Footnoting History. If you like the podcast, be sure to visit our website, footnotinghistory.com, where you can find links to further reading suggestions related to this week's episode, as well as a calendar of upcoming podcasts. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at History Footnote. Until next time, remember, the best stories are always in the footnotes. <laughs>